A thrilling Dodgers-Mets series to date. Aaron Judge hits 50 again, and Albert Pujols inching closer to 700 home runs, plus all that's happening with the pennant races in baseball. Plenty of top players are out at the U.S. Open, but Serena Williams continues to chug along. I'll have that and everything that's happening out in Flushing Meadow. The NFL season is a week away, and former coach John Gruden wants another chance. College football has arrived as I'll preview the upcoming season and schedule this weekend. Cam Smith hops over to the Live Golf League. Some dark days for NBA guard John Wall. Finally, the Sports Dead Zone goes that way, and a brand new podcast comes this way. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael? People, greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits, and why not? It is a new day, which means a new month. September is here, and it will also deliver a new podcast as we're closing in on the unofficial ending of summer. All we have is right now, so let's stay in the moment, people. Let me entertain you with all that's going on in the sports universe, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Now we could exhale, we're already into a new month, August, the dog days are gone, we don't have to worry about having to conjure up any type of storylines or angles sports is now about to take off into the next stratosphere as we have college football can you believe it now the college football season began last week but we all know in earnest it begins starting tonight you'll have some games on ESPN leading into the weekend which we have a big schedule to talk about I'll also preview what the college football season will look like it's not going to be a big one considering how top heavy it is but I will spend a few minutes, more than a few minutes, on what the upcoming college football season will look like. We'll get into a little bit of NBA, some dark days for one John Wall, as he recently admitted about considering suicide based on some events that had taken place over the last couple of years. I want to bring that up because obviously that's very important in this climate and the world that we live in, and people could say, ah, he's a big-time athlete, he has all the money in the world, but he is human. 
So I'll share my thoughts on that later on. All the tennis that's happening in Flushing Meadow, Serena Williams, I did not watch last night. I was involved in the Met game, among other things. But for Serena Williams to now take it to the third round, a lot of people thought that she may not get out of the first round considering what happened at Wimbledon, but here she is. She's going to live to see another day, and I'll keep you abreast of what's happening. A lot of the big-time players have exited stage right, whether your name is Stefano Tsitsipas, Taylor Fritz, Emirato Kanu, Naomi Osaka, even Venus Williams to a lesser degree. So we have those five names that are out of the tournament. And let's see, as we head into the weekend, how this may all unfold. Also, NFL, a week from today, the season begins. Everybody I know is revved up, ready to go. I'm sure people who already have drafted their fantasy football teams, which is obviously not in my wheelhouse, as we all know. But a couple of things coming out recently, in particular, John Gruden, who I want to get to as far as his comments that he said the other day about wanting to or hoping to get another chance and talking about how ashamed he was with the email exchange over the years, the reason why he got fired from the job in Las Vegas as the head coach. So I'll touch on that. Quite a bit to get into, people. Looking forward to sharing it all. And even Cam Smith, I'm going to spend two seconds on that because that was the worst kept secret in golf and pretty much in sports, him jumping over to the Live Golf League and... All right, am I going to dissect what's going to happen with the PGA moving forward? Uh, Well, anyway, let's get right to it. Baseball is going to be front and center at the moment as we are now less than five weeks away. Think about this. Five weeks from today, we'll start talking about the playoffs, the wild card weekend, which will be, what is it off the top of my head? I guess starting October 7th. But here we are. And to get a little bit of a preview, as we've seen in the last couple of days, especially right across the street from Flushing Meadow at City Field, the atmosphere there, especially last night, but I'll go back to Tuesday night, Dodgers-Mets this late in the year, which has been a treat because usually when the West Coast teams come East, they're usually done by the middle of August. And I get it with the way the schedule is now when it comes to interleague And having teams come later than normal. I mean, think about this. The Mets are playing the Pirates twice in the month of September. So that's just an example. But usually the schedule makers want to make the West Coast, East Coast, and vice versa. Those trips few and far between. I understand that the Yankees have gone through their own West Coast trip recently and how that's been a disaster for them. And I'll touch on that later on. But Dodgers-Mets Tuesday night. Taiwan Walker, who... With the help of maybe the Met offense, in particular Pete Alonso, and it's tough to kill him because he's had an MVP-like year, but in order for the Mets to extend that lead where they got the first three runners on base to start the game and Alonso striking out, that was pretty much a precursor of what the rest of the night was for him as he struck out three times and then flied out in his last at-bat. But the Mets weren't able to get the timely hit. The Mets behind Taiwan Walker, who did pitch well, but he gave up a big hit there to Gavin Lux to make it 3-1, and then later got the game-winning hit in the seventh inning. The Mets were unable to get a run across in the ninth inning where they had the leadoff runner on, but then Daniel Vogelbach grounded into a double play, and that thwarted any attempt for the Mets to rally in the ninth inning. You had Jake Reed, who was on the Mets roster earlier this year, yelling to the heavens or to whomever it may be, And I get it, he's exuberant, and I get it that he was probably trying to stick it to his former team. But okay, here's Jake Reed. Let me see this in October, where you know he's going to have probably not even a ninth inning, let alone a seventh or eighth inning in a big spot for the Dodgers, or may not even be on the roster at that point. 
But okay, he had his moment. They win there on Tuesday night. Last night, Jacob DeGrom on the mound. We all know it's an event here in New York whenever he pitches, especially here in this town. And what did he do last night? He gave up the bomb to Mookie Betts there in the sixth inning, but seven innings, eight strikeouts, one run, three hit ball, one walk, and you had Starling Marte provide all the offense with an opposite field home run. Also, the home run saving catch by Brandon Nimmo off of Justin Turner, which was enormous because obviously that would have tied the game, and who knows where the direction of that game could have gone from that point on. But the Mets were able to hang on. Edwin Diaz comes in. Timmy Trumpet now has his 15 minutes of fame and then some. And the Mets secured a tidy 2-1 victory. DeGrom, masterful. You also had the Met bullpen with Adovino coming in in between DeGrom, who pitched seven innings, and Diaz. And they're going to need Adovino big time, especially come October. He's definitely going to be your eighth inning guy. And today would be the... Rubber game of the three-game set where you have Clayton Kershaw, who I believe is coming off the IL and starting today, this afternoon, 4 o'clock, against Chris Bassett. So let's see how the final game of the series, who knows if this will be the last time they meet this year. Everybody's thinking that an NLCS preview is in store between these two teams. But again, there's a lot of baseball between now and then. Anything could happen. And I'm not going to look that far ahead or even think that these two teams are on a collision course for a chance to go to a World Series. But what you've seen in these first two games, thrilling, similar to October baseball, and if it's an indication of what may lie ahead between these two teams, boy, this could be a classic championship series. And one thing to remember, Met fans, after today's game, the rest of the schedule is pretty much a red carpet to 102, 103, maybe even 105 wins. Because the remaining two tough series on your schedule, in the middle of September, you go to Milwaukee to play three games over the weekend, and then you face the Braves that first weekend in October. Or I should say in late, yeah, it would actually be the first weekend of October because you have the playoffs, which would be the following week. That's it. As I mentioned before, you have the Pirates twice, you play the Cubs, the Nationals a couple of times, the Marlins... It's pretty much smooth sailing from here on out. You go to Oakland for three games. There is a case because of the way the schedule is. Mets have to go out on the West Coast to play a series out in the East Bay. So for the Met fan who was wondering about the Braves, and even though the Braves split their first two games against Colorado, there's still three games behind them in the division. But after today, hopefully if the Mets do win this game, win or lose, doesn't matter. You could pretty much look at the remaining part of the schedule and think, we should be in good shape to win a division and not have to worry about playing in a wild card scenario to where we have to worry about our pitching. We have to then maybe play in a division series. Who knows if it's going to be against the Braves or even the Dodgers for that matter, where that should be in a championship setting. But at the current moment, all is well there in Metland. So let's see how today plays out leading into the weekend to where the Nationals do come in to City Field to play a three-game series. A couple of things I want to touch on with baseball, and it's actually going to be intriguing down the stretch because when I look at these two players, one who's going to be an MVP this year, one who's a former MVP, three times I might add, and is chasing history, I'll start off with the current MVP, which will be Aaron Judge. No ifs, ands, buts, maybes about it. 51 home runs, and here we are September 1st. 
he definitely has a shot to reach Roger Maris and even surpass him to think he's just 10 home runs behind him, 11 to surpass him. And I won't get into the home run record overall. I've said it a million times, and I'm sure you've heard it a million other times from other outlets. But one step at a time, knowing that Judge has passed the 50 home run threshold, and by him trying to chase Roger Maris and Yankee immortality in a season which has been magical to say the least, betting on himself, everything that I've talked about pretty much throughout the whole summer, Although that's one thing we're going to look at to see if he's going to be able to tie and even eclipse Maris's record, and I'll get back to the Yankees in a second. On the flip side of that, you have the aging veteran who, at this current moment, and a couple of days ago, hit his 694th home run, and that would be Albert Pujols, to where he has an outside shot to not only tie and pass Alex Rodriguez for fourth all-time in Major League Baseball history, But he has an outside shot to get 700 home runs. And if baseball isn't going to pay attention or if baseball isn't going to become enamored with the possibility of both of these records. Now, granted, I get it that the home run single season record in the history books, whether an asterisk or not, belongs to Barry Bonds at 73. I get it. But here you have a possibility where it could be legitimate a guy that we've seen wreck baseballs throughout Major League ballparks all year, and for Judge to get to 61 and even pass Maris, I'm sure to a lot of people will look at that as the home run record. And for Albert Pujols, passing A-Rod isn't really a big thing. Yes, he does move up and past him on the all-time home run list, but for him to get to 700, especially this year, to close out the month of September into early October. His Cardinal team is going to go into the playoffs. I think it would be important for baseball not only to celebrate this player, but to celebrate 700 home runs because when are we going to ever see this again? Remember, the last person to hit 700 home runs was Bonds, and I get it, we could talk about steroids, etc. Understood. But that was 16 years ago. Maybe 17 at this point. Because I forgot when he hit his 700th home run. And then before that was Aaron. So to think that Pujols could actually do it this year, and I don't know if he's going to come back next year. He said that this was going to be his final year in Major League Baseball. And for him to hang on for one more year, I get it. If he's at 698 or even 699, does he come back for one more year? Who knows? It's a big, giant question mark. So I would think that the manager, Oliver Marmol, of the Cardinals is going to give Pujols every opportunity to try to break that. And it's good that they have a five and a half game lead in the division because if it was nip and tuck where the Brewers were within shouting distance and let's say there were a game, two games back to where maybe you're not going to put Pujols in the lineup to try to get to 700 home runs, the Cardinals could kind of look at the lay of the land and say, we have a comfortable lead. Hopefully it stays that way so we could give Albert Moore at bats He's going to get a lot of at-bats against left-handed pitching, as we know. So it's a situation where it does look like Pujols may get an opportunity to get past 696, have enough at-bats to even try to get to 700, and I really hope he gets an opportunity to do that before October the 5th. I think as a baseball fan and a lifelong baseball fan, I want to see that, and I want to see Judge 
get to 62. And why not? Baseball has become, sadly, a stepbrother amongst the major sports here over the last few years. And a lot of it has to do with greed, and a lot of it has to do with the players and the owners and lockouts, exorbitant contracts, etc. Understood, but that's in every sport now. We could talk about these players jumping to the Live Golf League. We could talk about these contracts in the NFL. Granted that the lifespan of a football player isn't anywhere close to the baseball player or the NBA player that's making $250 million for five years. We could talk about all of that, but it's not just specifically baseball, but for the sport that desperately needs any attention, especially in a regular season that's going to be forgotten here over the next month. We've talked about it ad infinitum and even ad nauseum the last couple of months how there's not going to be much of a pennant race in baseball because of the divisions that have already been long gone, whether you're in the NL West, the AL West, the AL East, do I even say, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. Yes, we still have a couple of races there with the wild card, AL Central, even the NL East, but there's not going to be a lot of drama, at least I think, down the stretch of the season. So for Judge and Pujols, for them to get these records or these milestones, I should say, I think is going to be important for at least the casual sports fan to maybe keep on their radar to watch as college football ushers in, the NFL ushers in, and everybody's going to be focused in and zeroed in on that. And they may turn to baseball sometime in October. Quickly, let me talk about the Yankees. Not only did they split a series in Oakland where they won the first two games and then lose the back two, but then for them to go to Anaheim and lose two out of three and barely hit. Now, they did win Tuesday night 7-4, to four, so they hit that night, and that's where Judge hit his 51st home run. But even yesterday, 2 nothing lead, Garrett Cole's on the mound, and understood he gives up a three-run homer to Shohei Otani. He is Otani, defending MVP, understood. It's not like he gave up a home run to the 25th guy in the team. But how many times have I talked about Garrett Cole delivering in a big spot? And for the Yankees to win two out of three, to maybe win two in a row with a day off today to go to Tampa, I'm sure it would have been some good medicine. Maybe not the best medicine, but good enough for them to get down there, get back to the East Coast, have a day to relax, and then go at it against the Rays. What happened? They lose 3-2. to two. So now they have to mull this whole scenario where they've now lost. Think about this. Four out of five, they go to Tampa, and mind you, they are five games ahead in the loss column over the Rays. Now, personally, I think the Yankees are still in good shape. They are sixth in the division. All they need to do is win one game this weekend. They just need to win the one. That's it. But could you imagine if they actually get swept this weekend to the point where the Rays will be two back, and they still have to come to Yankee Stadium to play another series later on in the month? It will be panic time in the Bronx if by any chance the Rays take care of the Yankees over the weekend. I'm not saying two out of three because, again, the Yankees just need to win one. But if they do sweep them, is it out of the realm of possibility at this point? If I'm Aaron Boone, I would tell my team this. Hang out by the pool. Go to Clearwater Beach. Get away from baseball. We have a full 24 hours to just Soak in whatever heat, humidity, and I'm sure a lot of rain that's in the Tampa-St. Pete area. 
I would do that. Or even get all the guys together to have a big meal. Forget about team meetings. Forget about anything like that. Just get away from baseball and disconnect. His job is not in jeopardy. But boy, I'm sure the fans, if by any chance the Yankees blow this lead, even if they do win a division, and I think they're going to win it comfortably no matter what, but could you imagine if they do blow this division at some point? Aaron Boone will never hear the end of it. And he still has three more years left on a contract that he signed prior to last year of a four-year deal. I'm just going to leave you with that. I think the Yankees will be fine. I think they're going to win at least one game this weekend. But boy, if I come on the airwaves Monday on this podcast at the heels of a three-game sweep, one more time, I'm going to leave it just like that. A couple of quick baseball notes before I move on. Justin Verlander on the 15-day IL. We talked about that calf injury that he suffered the other day against the Orioles. Thankfully for he and the Astros, no muscle fibers that were affected, which would have meant him probably staying on the IL for God knows how long. I'm sure they're going to try to ease him back in slowly to get a couple of starts under his belt before the division series in October. But thankfully for them, they breathe a sigh of relief. But you have to wonder, even with a couple of tune-ups, even with him barring any setbacks, calf injuries, and it's his right calf, so that's his push leg, As he's delivering a pitch, that's one. And at 39 years of age, you have to pay attention to maybe this thing cropping up again. So that is one injury that all of baseball, including fans like myself, are going to pay attention to to see whether or not he's going to be at full strength come game one of the division series next month. Also, Tony La Russa out indefinitely due to health issues. Now, they were not disclosed as to what's going on. Who knows if it's fatigue, stress, etc., But at 77 years of age, and I believe it'll be 78 the beginning of next month, who knows? This could be the beginning of the end. And I even mentioned this a couple of weeks ago because Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the White Sox, he's going to be loyal to his guy. They go back over 40 years. And there's no way that he's just going to show him out the door. So you have to wonder whether or not that the interim or maybe a replacement is going to be in store sometime after the offseason. But the White Sox, who have had a nightmare of a season and they're still in a pennant race if you could believe it more for the wild card because the division right now when you look at them they are five games back and that's going to be a lot of ground to cover even in the month of September but when we look at them they are currently six and a half back in the wild card and it looks like they're not going to make it to the postseason at all two games on the 500 and to think I had them as an over this year so we could put that in the L column I think their over number was 90 and a half and I'll get into my over-under numbers as we get to the Labor Day threshold, and we'll review those at that time. But Larusa been a nightmare of a season, and unfortunately with his health, I hope that he does have a speedy recovery, whatever it is that he's going through. But boy, it went from bad to worse for the White Sox as their season is lost and out to sea. I'll get into all the divisions, wild cards, and all that on Monday to keep you abreast of what's happening there because with so much that's going on now, I want to move on to other things. And the next thing I want to talk about is the tennis because the U.S. Open is now a big story because of Serena Williams. And with her winning last night, and forgive me, Constable, I can't pronounce that woman's name who was ranked number two in the world. And I didn't hear about her, to be honest, until this tournament for her to be ranked number two. But Serena... In 
three thrilling sets. I did not watch any of the match. I was engrossed in the Met game as well as on the phone with my brother. So I had a couple things juggling last night. So I did not pay attention to what Serena did. But for what I've read and what I've seen, it was a fight to the end. You saw a lot of the old Serena, the champion that she is, the toughness, the metal, the DNA that we've seen. And even though I didn't watch, and I get that, hand raised high in the air, but you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that that was a match that she gutted out. But now, that could turn one of two ways. It could be a thing where that may have taken a lot of energy out for her third round match, and who knows if she comes out a little flat. Off the top of my head, I don't know who her opponent is, so that's something I'll have to research. My bad here is it's early Thursday morning. But for Serena to have that type of effort, for her to put forth a Herculean, let's face it, she's 40 years old, to be 41 at the end of the month, to turn back the clock, so to speak, to have that type of performance, is it going to help her and put that gas in the tank to get to next week? Or did she leave it all on the court to the point where she's not going to be able to get out of the third round? And you have to look at it that way. It's easy for us to want to rally around and break out the Serena Williams pom-poms and think, oh, this was her watershed moment. Now it's time for her to take off and maybe get past Friday and then past Sunday and into next Tuesday to the point where she could see the finish line, not only on the tournament, but on her career. And with Naomi Osaka out as she lost in straight sets the other night, Emirato Kanu out in straight sets as she lost as well, Simona Halep, who lost in the first round on Monday. And even though there's still some players that are out there, Iga Swiatek, the number one player in the world, obviously she's going to be the one that may be there at the very end. Right now, you have to feel good about Serena's chances, but it's really going to be contingent on what happens Friday. That's how I'm going to look at it. Did this effort last night take all the energy out of her body and will not have enough fuel for her match there on Friday or will she just be in bed all day recuperate get herself back ready for tomorrow night at 7 o'clock center court and then come close to duplicating what she did last night that's where we're at here with Serena and to me this next match is either going to be it for her or she may make it to next week and it's all Serena all the time Understandably and rightfully so, but I'm sure deeper into the tournament, as far as she goes, you may get sick of it. But you got to understand, we may not see the likeness of a tennis player like this in God knows how long. So you have to give her her props. As for the men, you had Stefano Sitsipas out, Taylor Fritz, two guys that are no longer in the tournament. Sitsipas losing the first round, which was disappointing. But you still have Nadal, you still have Alcaraz, you still have Medvedev, you still have a lot of the big guys that are in there. You even want to throw in Andy Murray. I know he's not the same player that he was years back. But he was grouped with the Federer, Nadal, Djokovic. Murray was fourth on that list by far. But he's still alive in this tournament. So the men's side is still up in the air. We have to wait until we get to next week to see how this really shakes down and how it plays out. But... Obviously, with Serena being the big story and a couple of the 
top women players that are already out of the tournament. It does bode well for Serena down the road, but again, she's only two matches in and she still has four or five more to go to even get to a final, let alone win the U.S. Open in her final go-around. So we'll continue to see what happens there. And of course, I didn't mention Nick Kyrgios, who last night, strangely enough, had mentioned the smell of marijuana in the air. And I get it. He's not from New York. He's Australian. And I'm sure it was kind of weird for him to get that sense kicked in to the point where he's on the court and he smells this and it probably screwed him up to the point where he didn't even know what to do or what to say should he report it who knows but that's Kyrgios we know he's a character and it's going to be important for him to go deep into this tournament because based on what he did during Wimbledon and for him to take that next step and to really be taken serious as a top men's player and I'm talking about to be discussed in the same sentence with Novak Djokovic with Rafael Nadal You want to throw in the Daniel Medvedevs of the world? Fine. Since he won the U.S. Open last year, all right, I'll give you that. But if he really wants to make a serious run, he has to make it back to a semifinal again. Not to say that he was a one-hit wonder at Wimbledon, just making it to a final and losing to Djokovic. But let's see if this has any teeth, any legs for him to get back to a championship setting and see if he could prevail this time, unlike what he did at the old England club there, Wimbledon. All right, I'm going to take off my tennis shoes and put on the helmet and shoulder pads for these next two topics because the first one I'm going to go at is college football. And yes, let's jump for joy. Let's get crazy. Football is back. I understand it's not the NFL, but you do have a lot of college football fans out there. And for me, and to break down this 2022 college football preview, I hate to say it, people, There isn't really much to discuss when it comes to this because we know when it's all said and done, the programs that are going to be discussed in the college football playoff are probably going to be somewhere in the top five or six in the country. And as it is at this very moment, it's Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, Notre Dame. And you have a big one. Saturday night between two of the top five teams, which is going to go a long way for each one of these schools as part of being that championship discussion, making it to the college football playoff, and that will be Notre Dame at Ohio State. I'll get to that in a minute. I want to discuss just the entire landscape of college football as it is. The storylines are going to be, can Georgia get back with Kirby Smart winning a national title over Alabama, trying to make it back-to-back. Not only that, Kirby Smart gets his big-time contract after winning the national championship, and we all know that SEC pretty much dominates the college football circuit. Yes, there be some people from the Big Ten that will say otherwise, but we all know that if you're Alabama, A&M, Georgia, you want to throw in Florida, Those are the teams that people are going to wrap their arms around when it comes to college football here in this country. And when we take a look at that storyline with Georgia or the other storyline with Alabama trying to get back to a national title and win it for Nick Saban, who's already won six down in Tuscaloosa looking for a seventh. At that school, we already know that he won at LSU, so he does have seven titles overall. But we know Alabama is going to be gung-ho and like gangbusters to try to get back to that game and win it all. Ohio State, 
what's going to happen there considering that Ohio State will always be a team that's going to be part of the discussion. Clemson, the same for them as they won a title just a few years ago under Trevor Lawrence and Dabo Sweeney. We'll see what the third-year quarterback will do. Ugalele, I believe is his name. I can't pronounce it. You know me with names, people. But Clemson, who had a down year last year, now looking to rebound to see if they could get themselves back up to the mountaintop of college football. And you also have Notre Dame, new coach. Brian Kelly, as we all know, down back in the SEC. So you could go in different directions with these teams as to who is going to be part of this college football fabric because I hate to say it. Is there going to be a Cinderella a la Cincinnati that we saw last year make it to a college football playoff? If you're going to get that, it's still going to be a top team probably ranked somewhere between 5 and I'll say 12. So any one of those teams that could come up, whether it be A&M, Utah, Michigan, maybe even Oregon, and they go to Georgia, or they play Georgia this weekend, which is another one of the big games, and I'll get to the schedule in a second. But which one of those teams could be thrusted to the top four just remains to be seen because we're going to look at probably two teams coming out of the SEC. You know you're going to get one out of the Big Ten, and then where's that fourth team? Could it be ND, as we all know, as an independent? Is it going to be Clemson out of the ACC? And Clemson will play Notre Dame down the road, which will be that marquee game because Clemson's going to, they're going to pound on the North Carolinas of the world and the Miamis and the Florida States. So it's pretty much going to be smooth sailing for them. You know, Bama, even with one loss, they're going to make it into the college football playoff. Same for Georgia, if that's the case. Does A&M, do they go ahead and beat Alabama and then Alabama loses in an SEC championship game to where A&M, if they go undefeated, could they be the team or one of the four teams representing the college football playoff come New Year's Eve? Quite possible. Could Michigan be that team to beat Ohio State again like they did last year? This time the game is going to be in Columbus to where they get themselves back to the playoff like they did last year? What does Oklahoma have? Baylor. These are the teams that we're going to have to look from on the periphery to see if they could somehow, some way, find their way in. But it's all going to be contingent on whether or not Alabama loses two games. Could it happen? Of course it could, but the chances of that are going to be highly unlikely. Or if Ohio State loses two games at some point. So if Notre Dame beats them and then Ohio State loses to Michigan, they're going to be out, but then Michigan's going to be in. Notre Dame, if they beat both Clemson and Ohio State, chances are they're going to make it into the Final Four. So for any of the other teams that are out there that have any aspirations, and trust me, it's not as if you're going to have the USC's or a team like Iowa or Purdue or any of these other teams think about trying to squeeze themselves into a national championship scenario. Not going to happen. And sadly, when we look at college football on a whole, it is so top-heavy that we could pretty much predict who could be in the Final Four as of September 1st. Now, we all know 
anything could happen throughout the course of the season. I get that, and I just painted a few scenarios. But unless something wacky happens, and sometimes you have these weeks where crazy things do happen. Who knows if Ohio State loses here? These students, alumni, and everybody in Columbus, they're going to think that their championship aspirations are up in smoke. It's almost as if the season is over if they lose this first game to Notre Dame, or obviously down the road if they do lose to Michigan again, which is a lot more important when you think about it. But still, this game is imperative for them to go long this year and try to make it back to the college football playoff. But there isn't really much to dive into when we talk about other schools or other programs that could make that Cinderella run like Cincinnati did last year and maybe have a David and Goliath situation. I don't forecast that. At the end of the day, do I think it's going to be Alabama and the next team for national championship? I'll say yes. And by any means, this is not going out on a limb, but I could see Alabama after losing last year coming back on top, and I got to see Nick Saban's stupid face again holding that crystal trophy of the football and having to look at that crimson red celebrating another championship, and it just gets tiresome. I was sick of it. But sadly, this is how college football is. And it's going to get worse when Oklahoma and Texas join the SEC and UCLA and USC join the Big Ten and you're pretty much your power five is going to be your super two, if you want to call it that. And away we go from 2025 and beyond. Now, I haven't perused the schedule overall, but at least for this weekend, your key matchups, Oregon and Georgia, that's going to be one to look out for. If Oregon happens to win that game, right away people are going to put them in the mix for a national title and it's only one game, we can't get crazy, but this is the magnitude of some of these early games in this first weekend. We talked about Notre Dame and Ohio State, which I think is going to be tough for Notre Dame because Ohio State is going to be raring to go. It's in their building. I'm sure it's going to be hot, humid, and Ohio State is expecting big things this year. I'm sure it's championship or bust for the Buckeyes, so I think that's going to be a tough matchup for the Fighting Irish. And then another game is Utah, who is ranked seventh in the country, they got to go to the swamp and talk about heat and humidity. That is going to be tough sledding for the Utes to have to go down there. And Florida, who knows what Florida team we're going to get here, but I'm sure that it's going to be 65, 70,000 strong. Like I said, who knows? It may even be rainy. It may be just disgustingly humid. And if Utah does come away with a victory, that's going to go long for them early on to be part of everything that I've talked about here over the last 8 to 10 minutes and we're going to go week by week here people we know there are going to be lulls in the schedule once we get into October it will probably pick up a little bit and then we'll have that lull again before we get into November and then obviously right before Thanksgiving and during the Thanksgiving weekend that's when we'll have all those big games all the rivalry matchups etc but my finger's going to be on the pulse here with this people there may be weeks where we don't Go full bore on this, but there will be some weeks where college football is what we'll talk about. So glad to have college football back in the mix as we'll get into that come Monday with what will transpire over the weekend throughout the sport. 
Now, with the NFL, I know you've had some movement here with players and some things that were discussed. Next week will be a full NFL preview this time as the Rams will not only raise a banner to the roof of SoFi, but also raise the curtain on the NFL season. And to talk about 53-man rosters and cuts and the Bills' new punter, and all, I'm not going to get into all that right now. I know for the NFL fan, you may be thinking, come on, J-Reels, throw us a bone. I mean, we've been dying for football. It's pretty much here. I get it. College football is going to take precedence right now because it has arrived. It's part of our consciousness at the moment. But the NFL, we're going to talk about that for the next 22 weeks and then some. So for me to even get into Jalen Rager being traded to the Vikings or Alex Leatherwood being cut by the Raiders and brought up uh, over to Chicago to be a part of the Bear offensive line or Sony Michelle, uh, what's the point? I'm not going to really dissect those moves and how big they're... No, 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 no. That's not what I'm going to get into. Even Aaron Donald making a comment with the swinging the helmet deal, as I talked about on Monday, saying that, oh, it was just a practice. Yeah, it was a practice, but you still can't do that. That doesn't mean it was right. And he could poo-poo it and downplay it all he wants, but, and I'm surprised the NFL hasn't even fined him. It was almost as if he's Aaron Donald, three-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year, now Super Bowl champion. Okay, we'll let it go, let it slide. No, what are we doing here? So, bad job by the NFL there. I get it, you're not going to suspend him because it was a scrimmage, but he should be, take something out of his pocket. Just can't go around swinging helmets at players. But with that being said, I want to get to John Gruden here quickly because Gruden was part of a camp in Arkansas and he, for the first time, opened up about the scenario where he was terminated from his 10-year contract with the Raiders as head coach, was let go last October based on the email thread over the years with he and Bruce Allen. This was when he was part of the Monday Night Football broadcasting booth and being a color commentator, not being on the sidelines, part of an NFL franchise. But for him to come out and say, oh, I want to be honest and being Gruden-esque, not to say that he was trying to be funny or whatever, but you know how much of a character he is. And he pretty much was informed during this. It wasn't even a press conference. It was just some comments that he made at this Little Rock Touchdown Club in Arkansas saying that, oh, I was ashamed about what came out in those emails. And remember, they were misogynistic, homophobic, and racist, I might add. And talking about how it was shameful, but I'm a good person. I go to church. I'm married for 31 years. Never once did he apologize. Never once did he put the onus on him saying, I have to do better. I've gone to counseling. I've been working out certain things in my life to be better. None of that. And then he ended that little, I don't want to say diatribe, but he ended that little speech, so to speak, with him saying, but I hope to get another shot, meaning that he wants to get another shot to coach. For him, I'm sure in the NFL, but maybe in the college ranks, who knows? And even though I've heard Keyshawn Johnson say, I haven't heard that man say anything derogatory in the four years that I played for him, and some of the other guys went to bat for him, whether you're Booger McFarlane in particular... But that doesn't excuse the behavior, whether it was in print or not, 
for him just to gloss over or for him to just kind of not necessarily sweep it under the rug, but to say, oh, I was shameful, I'm ashamed for what I did, but I am a good person, and let's move on. No, let's not. He's probably not going to get a job in the NFL as it is. Let's start there, number one, because what owner, as desperate as they may be, or franchise is going to want to hire a guy who has that on his record? So right there, that pretty much cancels out any chance, even though he is hoping, quote-unquote, to get another shot. Number two, and listen, I am not the morality police. I've said this a thousand times, okay? But Lord knows I've behaved terribly in my life. And granted, I'm not an NFL coach, not a high-profile type of person, whatever. But guess what? If I know that I did something that was wrong or something that was terrible where I hurt a group of people or hurt one person, let alone a group of several people, whether it's the LGBTQ community, whether it's women, the disenfranchised, whomever it may be, not only do I have to take ownership for that, but I have to find a way to mend whatever it is internally in order for me to be better, to get to a point where I could be contrite, compassionate, etc. You didn't hear that from Gruden the other day. And not only that, he, oh, I've been married for 31 years. What did his wife think about him making comments about female officials in the NFL and whatever he called them, and I forgot because that was last year when I read about this, but does that sit well with his wife? Did she look at her husband and say, not only was that wrong, but you need to seek some help? And again, I'm not trying to make this out to be a therapy session. I'm not trying to make this out to be, it's my answer and I have it all and I know but based on experience in order to get myself out of some tough times and bad behaviors patterns, habits, etc I know what I had to do to get to a certain point and based on what I see from afar Gruden definitely was not empathetic was not apologetic and therefore to me just came onto the scene, made these comments, keeping his fingers crossed to hope to get another shot and to say that he's a good person. Me personally, that doesn't fly. So that's all I got to say about that. And then earlier this week, we heard about Jimmy G staying in San Francisco and Coach Kyle Shanahan said that this is a great insurance policy that just in case of Trey Lance, whatever, gets injured. Now, he didn't say that, but for all intents and purposes that if the Lance experiment, at least for this year, fails, he has Jimmy G in his back pocket. But here's the thing. It's almost like a double-edged sword because you did give Jimmy G permission to seek a trade to go elsewhere. No other teams were interested. So therefore, it was almost as if they brought him back. Not only he had to take a pay cut, but also be a backup in the process. So here's a guy that was unwanted, that yes, you do have him on the team as a luxury and God bless him because who knows what Trey Lance is going to be this year. I get it, raw ability, he's able to throw the ball a million miles, he could run like the wind, but we do not have enough of a sample size to think that, oh yeah, Lance looks like he's going to be a good quarterback or he could be injury prone for all we know or he could just be a better runner than a thrower or his decision making could be poor, who knows? 
And yes, it may be good for the organization to have a guy like Jimmy G on the bench. And Jimmy G, give it up to him, total class. He hasn't said a word about this whole process. And I'm sure inside, it's got to be stewing and he's got to be hurting over it. Here's a guy that took his team to an NFC Championship last year and two years prior to that to a Super Bowl. And now he's relegated as a backup. But here's the problem, at least for this year, is that if Lance, forget about an injury. Injuries do happen. But let's say by week six, the Niners are two and four, and Lance has not played well. What do you do? You just can't put in Jimmy G there and have him carry it out and let's say ride it out to the point where they make the playoffs and here they are in a wild card round and they win that game. Jimmy G is going to be on top of the world and you're going to destroy this kid, Trey Lance. This isn't 1970 with Terry Bradshaw when he was drafted number one overall and you had Joe Gilliam come in to play for Terry Bradshaw where he was on the bench. And mind you, he and Chuck Knoll, the Steeler coach at the time, they butted heads a lot. And it took quite a while for Bradshaw to gain any type of confidence for Chuck Knoll, or I should say the other way around, for Knoll to gain any confidence in Bradshaw to be that guy to deliver that franchise quarterback number one overall by bringing in Gilliam. You knew that Bradshaw, and he's even admitted it to where he was depressed. His confidence was shot. It's 2022, not to say it's going to happen to Lance, but I painted that picture, and if that were to happen, how do you think Lance is going to feel? Now, granted, Jimmy G will be long gone, and then you're going to give the keys back to Lance, but it's just going to be a quarterback controversy to no end if Lance doesn't get hurt and obviously plays terribly. That's one thing to keep an eye on here as we get closer to the start of the NFL season. Couple of quick things I want to get to. NBA is still ways off. In fact, I believe training camp probably opens in about three and a half, four weeks. So believe it or not, we're going to start talking NBA and the NHL. Think about this. I believe training camp for sure opens in about two and a half to three weeks. So the fall sports are on the way, people. As I said, sports dead zone is now bye-bye. So now we could really start to get ready for a lot of sports upcoming. But NBA, John Wall recently came out and said that he was in a very dark place, admitted to committing suicide, not only dealing with the injuries that he's had over the year, falling down the steps to, you know, trying to avoid his dog, blowing out his Achilles, the death of his mom, and also his grandmother, both over the course of a year period, I believe it was, or maybe it was less than that, dealing with COVID, just a bunch of losses and a bunch of sadness that was going on to the point where... Wall contemplated that. Now, he didn't get into specifics, whether he was going to take pills or do something drastic to that regard. Sometimes you hear these stories where you're sitting in a parking lot and you have a pistol in one hand and your brain is going a million miles an hour. Wall did not depict any of that. But for him to come out of this, and he said with therapy and help and all that, and good for him that he's done that, Because Wall, number one overall pick with the Wizards many years ago, and a guy that when he came out of Kentucky was literally a flash of lightning across the court. And with everything that has gone on over the last few years, and I'll keep it to the stuff on the court with the injuries, the big contract, not being able to fulfill that, 
And it looks like he has a second lease of life considering that he's going to L.A. to be on the Clippers with both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. If they're all healthy, that's a team that could easily play for an NBA championship this year. And I picked them to go to the finals last year, and who knows, I'm actually contemplating on whether to go back to that well one more time if all three are going to be healthy, and that's a big if, and see if they could make a championship run in L.A., as we usually see with the Lakers over the last few years. But for Wall to open up, to be vulnerable in this day and age, it's important because a lot of people are going to look at the athlete and say, suck it up, you make millions of dollars, you have everything at your fingertips, you have the world is your oyster. But here's a scenario where Wall was really going through it and was able to come out for now, on the other side, shining bright. And you only hope that he continues to look toward the light as opposed to look back in the darkness for better days that lie ahead despite all the tragedy and everything that he's had to deal with over the last few years. And then lastly, I'm going to spend literally 60 seconds on this. So Cam Smith now officially goes to the Live Golf League. What more can I say? And I know four of the players went as well, I believe Mark Leishman was one of them and a few other players. No secret. What can you say? He's an Australian. I'm sure with Greg Norman being a hero to him, coming from that same part of the world, not to say that it was a no-brainer, but I'm sure the whispers and even with probably Norman getting into his ear, hey, we really need you. It would be an honor to have you aboard you're going to make a ton of money, appearances, you're only going to play 54 holes, etc., the whole deal. So Cam Smith, number two in the world, goes to the Live Golf League. And what more can I say that has already been said? <laughs> Not much. Until we start seeing other big players go, whether your name is Scotty Scheffler. We know Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas... Those guys, they're not going to leave because we know that they're in the PGA's corner and especially with Tiger being at the forefront of that groundswell. But who knows? Now with the golf season pretty much in the twilight, there's still going to be a few more events. But once we get into January and the golf season starts to strike up again and as we lead into Augusta come next April, we'll see where these players are going to go if there's going to be any more movement as Cam Smith, the latest to jump ship, and I'm not surprised, and what more can I say? That is pretty much it, people. And that is pretty much it for this podcast. As we close out, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day, whether you're driving in the car, on a commute to work, on the treadmill, or just cooking or cleaning at home. Thank you so much for entrusting in me and this little podcast to deliver the latest of what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Throw me a few stars, write a review. I greatly appreciate it. Again, to increase the visibility of this podcast as I continue to move upward and onward. I'm working on a couple of things behind the scenes. I know earlier this week I mentioned about Chris Dishman, which I'm working on for tomorrow, but check my social media accounts, which I'll get to right now. TikTok, the J Reels podcast, Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels podcast. Twitter, JReels1, just a number. Facebook, the JReels Podcast fan page. If you want to send me a question, comment, criticism, praise, suggestion, you could do so on any of those aforementioned accounts or the JReels Podcast at gmail.com. Please 
send them my way. I'll be more than happy to follow up. And if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com. P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy. dot com slash the J Reels podcast. Whatever you want to put forth, will go one hundred percent to this production, website, equipment, everything that comes into this microphone, into your earbuds and speakers. Because whether you do or do not know, this is my love, people. This is what I love to discuss. This is what I love to get into. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA to talk about anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beast, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Enjoy your Labor Day weekend. I'll see you back here on Monday. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby.